Welcome to The Surpassing Worth, a podcast where we study scripture, know Christ deeper, and treasure him above all things. This is your host, Cole. Thanks for joining me. We come now to 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verses 14 through 16a, and we're really going to be discussing what it means to be unequally yoked. So let's read the text, pray, and get right into it. Paul says, Do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. For what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? Or what fellowship has light with darkness? Or what accord has Christ with Belial? Or what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? What agreement has the temple of God with idols? For we are the temple of the living God, as God has said. Father, we thank you for your word. God, we know that we are meant to be uh, renewed by your grace every day and not be conformed to the world. So help us to know what it means to not be mixed with the world, to be your people, to shine as your people. Lord, is redeemed uh, new creations in your kingdom. But Lord, also help us to be a witness to the world which needs you, so that Lord, while we are not uh, of the world, we are nevertheless in the world and meant to be ambassadors and witnesses for your kingdom. I pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay, so if you've ever heard the phrase unequally yoked, you've probably heard it in the context of a dating relationship. Don't be unequally yoked when you choose a dating partner. And now, that's not a bad application of what this means, and we're going to see that, but it's not what Paul meant in the original context. I don't think Paul has dating in mind, although he does have relationships and he does have uh, really social interactions in mind. So let's just ask the first question in verse 14. What does it mean to be unequally yoked? What does that even mean? We don't use the word yoke anymore except an egg yolk, but that's not even the same spelling. Uh, so let's think about it. Back in that time, a yoke was something that bound two animals together. And so it could be drawn like this. This is a very rough rudimentary, rudimentary drawing. Um, but basically, the, the animals, the two animals would be placed in here, their necks, and they would be driven along the same path. So wherever this animal went, this animal would go, and there's no separation. They were on parallel paths. And the point Paul's making here is that your lives should not be on the same parallel path. It shouldn't be mixed in the sense of immorality with unbelievers. And so this recognizes that there has been a change in the believer's life from old to new, from dead to alive, from uh, a slave to sin to a slave to righteousness. And so on, on the basic sense, this just means our lives should not be mixed in a way that makes us look like we are of the world, that makes us look like we have actually had no experience of salvation at all. So do not be unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, I think this can mean practically um, in our relationships uh, that there comes a boundary or a line where we should interact with uh, non-believers, but we shouldn't engage in the same activities and things that they are doing because we are no longer slaves to sin. Uh, and so in this sense, we shouldn't be unequally yoked in relationships. And I think that does go to dating relationships. Like a believer shouldn't date a non-believer who has complete different priorities. But nevertheless, the, the immediate context is that in all of our relationships and uh, social interactions, we should not have this mixture unequally yoked with unbelievers. Now, Paul is going to give us five rhetorical questions 
to really drive home his point, and then he's going to make this last point at the end about being the temple of the living God. So let's look at this, uh, the, the separation, not being unequally yoked. There's five questions. The first one is this, for what partnership has righteousness with lawlessness? And I'm just going to put a divider there because the whole point is, what partnership has righteousness with the opposite, which is lawlessness? So righteousness just means, uh, in this context, living out the Christian life in a way that's in accord with God's principles and commandments. And lawlessness is the opposite. Lawlessness is just a life full of sin. Uh, sin is lawlessness in the sense that it creates chaos and havoc. And so Paul's like, how can you who have been made righteous and are now righteous through Jesus, your life has been transformed, how can you now participate with lawlessness? It cannot be. The answer is nothing. There is no partnership with righteousness between righteousness and lawlessness. The second question, what fellowship, so you can see how partnership and fellowship are parallel, they kind of mean the same thing, what fellowship has light with darkness? Same idea. Light and darkness cannot mix. If you turn your light on uh, first thing in the morning, it floods out the darkness. In the same sense, those who have been brought into the kingdom of light as Paul tells us in Colossians, we've been transferred from the dominion of darkness into the, the kingdom of light. Light uh, is just a picture for God, who he is. First John tells us that God is light, and in him is no darkness at all. There is no impurity in him. There is no sin in him. There is no bent towards evil. He is pure light. And we now, as children of the light, should walk in the day. That's just a metaphor, a picture for living a life now for God. On the opposite, darkness is clearly a picture of sin. Uh, the fruitless deeds of the darkness are done at nighttime most of the time. And so we like to hide our sin. Sin hides and thrives in the dark, metaphorically in the darkness of our lives when we don't confess and bring our sin to light. So what fellowship has light with darkness? Nothing. Uh, it, it cannot have fellowship. So again, there's two questions that the answer is nothing. And we come to the third question. What accord has Christ with Belial. Now, this is an interesting phrase. Uh, most of us don't uh, have never heard the name Belial before. So this comes, I'll just explain it, from the Hebrew uh, in, in the um, Israelites' time. Baal was a god uh, that was worshipped by the Canaanites. And Baal is often portrayed as the, the enemy god or the, the ideal picture of a false god in Israelite worship. And so Belial comes from the mixing of the Hebrew word for worthless with Baal, and thus you get Belial. But this, in the context of when Paul is writing, had taken on the undertones of being associated with Satan. So what accord has Christ with Satan or the enemy? And again, the answer is nothing. Uh, Christ cannot be uh, in the same leagues as Satan. In fact, they are diametrically opposed to one another. Christ is in the business of saving sinners, of redeeming that which was lost, and Satan is in uh, the business of seeking to steal, kill, and destroy anything that is of God and is for God's glory. So again, Paul's saying, hey, you who belong to Christ, you can't have any mixture with Satan, and Satan is in the work of darkness and lawlessness. So that's the third question, and he gets to another one. What portion, so think of like a meal, a portion, uh, what portion does a believer share with an unbeliever? And again, the answer is they can't. They can't share a portion. What agreement, finally in this last one, what agreement has the temple of God 
with idols. This is simply a reference back to uh, the temple of uh, the Jewish time, how uh, there were times when people would bring in idols into the temple of God. And that was a clear violation of the Ten Commandments where God said, you shall have no other gods before me and you shall not make any God in an image. And so Paul's picture here is that we are now the temple of God, as he states at the end of verse 16. So if we are the temple of God, then we cannot have any mixture of idols in our lives. And he's thinking internally here, how do we as Christians often mix with idols? Well, it's often our heart idols. It's often the idols that creep in unexpected, and we start to elevate above a pure and sincere devotion to God. So the main point in all this is that there is a stark contrast between the believer and the unbeliever, that the believer should not be unequally yoked in all these ways to the non-believer. There should be a different pathway. There should be a different way of life. And the whole point of this, and we'll see this in the next episode, is that we are the temple of the living God. So God has set us aside. Another word for that is he has sanctified us to be new, to be a new creation, to be his people. And therefore, if we are his people, we cannot be mixed with those who are of the darkness. Now, I was talking to a college student the other day about this because her question was, how do I live a pure life for Christ? How do I not be unequally yoked, yet also be a witness at the same time? And I explained it to her this way. There's really a, a continuum and I, I don't know if this is really a continuum so much as just leanings that we lean to. On the one side, we think, man, I really need to reach these lost people. I really need to kind of be around them and go to the places they're going. And maybe I can reach them if I, as a Christian, can hold my witness up, yet be around them. But what tends to happen over on this side is that we do become, become unequally yoked with unbelievers. And our flesh is weak, and so we end up becoming conformed more than we reach them. And so this is just a danger of that side of saying, hey, I need to go where the lost people are. I need to reach them. Maybe I need to go to the bars or uh, to the party on campus, whatever it is. That's dangerous because our flesh is weak. And Paul clearly tells us in Romans to not be conformed to the pattern of the world. And Peter tells us in 1 Peter 4 that they are surprised when they when we do not join them in their fruitless deeds of darkness. So there should be a fine line where we say, yes, I want to reach lost people, but I understand that I cannot do everything that they do. Uh, otherwise, I will become unequally yoked and probably will become conformed to the image of the world. But on the complete other side of this, there's this idea of, hey, I need to be completely separate from anything that any, even any lost person, because if I get near them, maybe I'll be tempted, maybe I will sin myself. And what ends up happening on this side, if taken to the extreme, is that you become a Pharisee. And this is clearly what Jesus condemned uh, in his earthly ministry, is that there were Pharisees who began heaping up righteousness according to law-keeping. Well, I'm a good Christian. I'm a, I'm a, I obey all the commandments. You know, I'm good enough. I'm not, at least I'm not like that person. And it was those people who Jesus uh, indicted as being hypocritical. So we have to be careful that there is some clear distinction between uh, how we live as Christians in the world and then how we interact with lost people. But we can't become a Pharisee on one hand and look down on them as if we're somehow better because we're not. Uh, we have been saved by grace, and it's only by grace so that it eliminates all boasting. 
And so we should actually look with compassion upon the lost because they need the same grace that we have received. In fact, if you think about your salvation, what makes you different from the lost person? It's that God saved you. It's that God uh, opened your eyes by faith to receive Christ, and it was by grace you have been saved. And this is not of your own doing. It's of a work of God so that no one may boast. So, yes, we are now separated from the lost uh, world, but we have uh, really no merit in in of ourselves to be a Pharisee. We cannot look down on them. Now, on the other side, we should, and I think the American church probably tends more to this side, like, man, I I just need to, I'm saved by grace so that I'm free to do whatever I want. But there is a clear um, expectation in the New Testament that because God is holy, we are to live holy lives. And this is the process of sanctification. That one, we are set apart from the world, as we've been talking about. But then two, we are we are still left in the world so that we would be a witness to lost people. You know, in John uh, 13, the night before Jesus is crucified, he tells his disciples that it's by this they will know that you are my disciples, by how you love one another. He doesn't say they will know you're my disciples by how well you relate to lost people and by how well you fit into the crowd. He says, They will know you're my disciples by how you love one another. And so the Christian community together, as we are living out uh, being new creations together, that will, as God draws people through the Holy Spirit, he will draw people to see his beauty, the beauty of the gospel. Now, it seems like a big task for us, but there is a clear, as we looked at in 2 Corinthians 5, we are ambassadors to God. We should live a separate life to be unequally yoked, so that we can be a witness. Uh, and I just think practically, you know, we are tempted in so many ways to be conformed to the world. Um, but how do we not be conformed to the world, but be transformed by the renewing of our mind? Well, it has to be based on the gospel. It has to be based on preaching the gospel to ourselves every day by being in Christian community, um, by soaking ourselves in the word of God so that we know what is true versus what is error, and also being girded up with the armor of God, uh, praying in the Spirit at all times so that we may flee from temptation and be able to discern what is evil and what is uh, from darkness versus what is of light. So I leave you with that. I know that's a lot on the screen, but unequally yoked, fascinating concept, but Paul clearly gives us Uh, what it means with those five questions. And I hope that you will see that your identity is now uh, God's chosen people, that you are God's chosen people. You are the temple of the living God. And this calls us to be separate, to live pure lives for him, to be devoted to him, not conform to the world. Yet we should reach out to the world, knowing that they need to see the same grace which has saved us. Okay, if you've been enjoying these episodes, I would really appreciate it as a small content creator. If you liked, subscribed on YouTube, or follow on Spotify, hit the bell. Uh, Whatever support you can give, that would be very much appreciated. Uh, Continuing to put out these videos, walking through 2 Corinthians. My goal is to to finish by the summer in 2 Corinthians, and we'll see where we go from there. But I really appreciate your support, and we'll catch you next time on The Surpassing Worth. Mm -hmm.